Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Hello, everybody. The growing importance of China globally is increasingly putting the European Union in a tight spot between its two biggest trading partners, China and the United States. For most of 2019, there has been intense debate on the use of Chinese suppliers in the development of 5G. The EU received pressure from both sides to lean one way or the other. Hello, my name is Johannes Heller, and I'm joined by Noah Barkin, journalist and Merrick's academic fellow from September 2019 to January 2020. Based in Berlin, he has extensively written on European political and economic themes for Reuters, The New York Times, and The Atlantic. During his time at Merix, he has been looking into the strategic triangle that is the European Union, China, and the U.S., and the pressure on the EU to choose between its two biggest trading partners. Hello, Noah. Hi, Johannes. Nice to have you in the studio. Nice to be here. Can you take us through the recent history of what kind of threat the U.S. perceives from China, then how it reacts to this threat, and what does it have to do with the European Union? Yeah, well, the U.S. Uh, perceives a threat on many levels uh, at the moment.、Um, if you were to go through the the different areas,、um, it's China's. There's always human rights as a big issue. There's、uh, China's growing surveillance state、uh, that it's also exporting to other countries in Africa, Latin America, etc. There's the Belt and Road and all that, but what I've been looking into、um, during my time here at Merix is、uh, the so-called tech war. So this sort of technological war between、uh, started by the U.S.、Uh, in the sense that the Trump administration has pushed back very aggressively against、uh, against China on on、uh, what people would call sort of economic coupling. So、uh, I think. On the one hand, this has been about, for example, preventing、uh, Chinese companies from acquiring companies in the U.S. So investment screening, but it's all it's also about 5G,、uh, protecting critical infrastructure from from Chinese suppliers, and I think the, these perhaps can be seen as more defensive measures. So protecting companies, technology, infrastructure at home. What I've been looking into recently is, I think, a, a bit of a shift in this towards a more offensive posture. So, export controls on emerging technologies,、um, and this is about preventing certain technologies from getting into the hands of Chinese companies, the Chinese、uh, party state, and. And this is essentially about、um, concerns that China is using these technologies for for military purposes.、Uh, under President Xi Jinping, there's been this sort of military-civil fusion strategy,、uh, and the U.S.、Uh, U.S. officials repeatedly point to that. So,、uh, if you boil it down, they are in the process of rolling out、uh, new rules for export controls that would prevent. Or insist that companies in the U.S. get a license or ask permission to send certain technologies to China,、uh, and of course this affects Europe because if the U.S. is doing this, if they're preventing their companies from sending stuff to China, and Europe is doing that, is sending the same、uh, technologies or products to China, then 
then this is a problem. So the U.S. needs to build a coalition if it wants to make this work. And so it is. It has been reaching out to European allies and, and also other allies in in Asia, uh, Japan, South Korea, etc., to convince them to follow its lead and to restrict the export of certain technologies. And we're talking about uh, uh, fairly broad. Uh, the U.S. put out a fairly broad list uh, a little over a year ago, which included artificial intelligence, quantum computing, three uh, D printing technologies like this, and so. Right now, it is rolling these out, and this is going to affect Europe in a big way. Um, I think we've seen this 5G debate here. The 5G debate is just the beginning. Europe is, is going to be coming under increasing pressure to follow the U.S. lead on this, and, and of course, pressure from the Chinese not to do uh, what the U.S. is doing. Maybe we can go uh, a step back Uh, and, and look at the defensive measures that also happen from the EU side. Right, We have some investment screening measures that the EU also implemented. Uh, we have this debate on 5G. Um, how much of this was an, an indigenous European discussion and how much was it influenced by the US and by China? Yeah, well, I think on investment screening, um, it was influenced by the US, but I think you may remember this debate in 2016 over Chinese acquisition of KUKA, the German robotics maker, um, that was really a, uh, a sort of wake-up call, certainly here in Germany, which I think in the past always encouraged Chinese investment. Suddenly they saw a sort of jewel of German industry being bought by a Chinese company. And this was all happening, this, this happened a year after China unveiled um, Made in China 2025, which was uh, a sort of industrial strategy. It listed 10 sectors where China wanted to become a, a world leader. And I mean, this was seen as a real threat in Germany because Germany is, is known as a, a sort of manufacturing powerhouse. And this was basically a declaration that China wanted to leapfrog Germany in a number of, of key industries. Um, so there was a wake-up call in Germany and in other countries in Europe. Uh, there was a real flurry of Chinese acquisitions in 2015-16. So we did, we did have a push. Germany, France, and Italy pushed uh, the European Commission to introduce some legislation. We now have an investment screening mechanism, which uh, allows the European Commission to sort of coordinate and monitor not just Chinese, any foreign acquisition. And... And then, of course, we've had this 5G debate. I would say that is a debate which uh, has been, it's not that people here weren't thinking about it, but the U.S. has really brought it to the forefront. There's been a very intense lobbying campaign over the past year. Um, American officials coming through Berlin, Paris, Brussels, London, on a very regular basis to convince uh, European governments to ban uh, Chinese suppliers. And, and there are two Chinese suppliers for 5G, that's Huawei and ZTE. Um, ZTE is a state-owned enterprise. Its inclusion has been more controversial, but Huawei is a leader in this area. And so we're seeing that. We've seen that play out over the past year. And now, and now I think uh, as we look ahead to, to 2020, we're going to see 5G decisions will be coming. Um, but uh, I think uh, in, in the coming year, we're going to see more discussion about restricting 
the export of emerging technologies, um, and that's going to be a very that's going to be a very contentious debate between the U.S. and Europe. Mm-hmm. Yes. So after talking about the defensive measures, maybe we can have a look at the offensive one uh, that you mentioned, like export controls. Um, will there be a push from the U.S. to think more thoroughly about export measures and, and what kind of exports should not be done to China? And how will this pressure from the U.S. look like? Yeah, well, the U.S. has already begun a, a sort of outreach effort. Um, they hosted a, a meeting in, in Washington in September with the title MAST, M, a Multilateral Action on Sensitive Technologies. So there were 15 countries present, and it was sort of an exchange of views on, uh, on different technologies. And this is, of course, um, and maybe we can come back to this, this These are very uh, technical questions. On the one hand, you have to understand these technologies. You have to understand how they're being used, what their potential uses are. Are there military, potential military uses? So that's part of the complexity of this is you need uh, technical people in the room. You need academics. You need business uh, people um, and then you also need politicians. Often, often the decisions on these things are, are, are quite political at the same time. So, um, so the U.S. has been looking at this very intensively over the past year, uh, and it's been reaching out to Europe. Um, but Europe is, uh, I think it's fair to say, behind on this. It's not um, necessarily ready to have that debate with Washington over what these technologies uh, are, what the risks associated with these technologies are. So uh, so I think one of the problems is that this needs to kind of rise on the political priority list in Europe. Um, uh, investment screening was a priority. Uh, it, it all happened very fast by European standards. This legislation coming through Germany, France, and Italy saying we want the European Commission to look at this and propose some legislation happened very fast because this was about protecting German, French, Italian companies uh, from Chinese acquisition. So it was, it was, I think there was a feeling that the Chinese were arriving and buying up companies. So there, there was a lot of a lot of support for this. Um, it's something else to say we're not going to send technologies to China, and that's not at the sort of level of political attention where it needs to be because the U.S. is going to force this debate on Europe and Europe has to grapple with it so it can have that conversation with the U.S. Now, there is suspicion in Europe about uh, U.S. motivations. Um, there's a feeling that perhaps the U.S. is... This isn't about preventing technology from being used for military purposes, but rather uh, an effort to contain China or limit its technological rise. That's not something that the Europeans want to be involved in. Um, but the Europeans need to wrestle with these problems, and, and they don't really... The European Commission doesn't have a mandate. There's a risk that as the pressure from the U.S. builds, that European countries, if they try to deal with this alone, they that this sows divisions within the European Union. Um, so my belief is that just like they did on 5G and investment screening, European countries need to give the, the Commission a bigger role in coordinating this response to the U.S. on emerging technologies. The Commission doesn't have any formal mandate to look into this at the moment. 
It has been bogged down in a three and a half year legislative process to reform its own uh, dual use export control regime. This has nothing to do with emerging technologies or China. This debate in Europe started uh, because European cyber sur surveillance technology was being used during the Arab Spring by authoritarian governments. So you have these two parallel uh, debates going on, one in Washington, one in Brussels, and uh, they're completely separated from each other in a way. But the U.S. is going to force this technology debate on Europe, and Europe needs to, I would argue, in the coming months, think very hard about how it wants to respond. This is Merrick's Experts. What kind of options do you see for the European Union to respond to the pressure from the US? But I guess there's also pressure from China to, to not engage uh, in, in this way. As I said, it's uh, it's a very these are very complex issues. Five um, G. Uh, this debate is also has also been very complex. So, you know, people are talking about um, uh, core and periphery of the network, and 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 um, uh, you know how five G will be different than four G, and 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 what represents a security risk and what doesn't. And so, it's also been a very technical debate. Um, but this arguably is even more overwhelming because you're talking about a whole range of technologies that you have to understand. You have to understand their end use. So if Europe wants to respond in a sort of united way, and you know the new European Commission president, Ursula von der Leyen, has talked about a geopolitical commission. Um, EU officials talk about economic sovereignty for Europe. Um, they're still smarting from the Trump administration's decision to pull out of the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear deal, last year. Um, and even though politically they supported that deal, European companies had to pull out of Iran because they faced the threat of secondary sanctions from the U.S. So the U.S. essentially said, look, we're pulling out of this deal Uh, if you continue to do business with Iran, we're going we're gonna to punish you. Um, so this is sort of a, a signal about what could happen on the emerging technology front as well. The U.S., if they decide not to send certain technologies to China and European companies continue to do so, then they can punish, they can use the, their powers to punish those companies, uh, especially companies who have a presence in the U.S. So Europe, Uh, really needs to grapple with this issue. It needs to um, it needs to take a close look at these technologies. It's it's a laborious process. Another issue I think for Europe is this nexus of technology and security is going to be growing in importance. So, whereas I think in the past you could think about security and technology and trade maybe as separate issues. Now it's all coming together. And neither European member states nor the EU as a whole really has the structures in place to deal with this nexus. So here in Berlin, you have an economy ministry and a foreign ministry uh, led by two different parties with different interests. They need to find a way to create the structures to have a debate about 
trade, technology, security, a holistic debate rather than what we've seen on the 5G issue, which is different ministries sort of taking shots at each other depending on their own interests. So I think European countries and also the EU as a whole need to think about ways of having this this discussion, technology and security. Uh, the Japanese are doing some interesting things in this in this uh, area, uh, creating new structures, a new economic statecraft unit within their National Security Council, also creating new uh, units within their ministries focused on sort of emerging security threats. So... Uh, I think Europe needs to talk with its allies, especially allies in Asia, which are sort of on the front line of this uh, U.S.-China competition, confrontation. Uh, they're thinking about it. So so Europe can work with its allies. It needs, obviously, it's talking with the U.S. The U.S. has been reaching out uh, to, to, to all its allies to try to get their buy-in. But Europe needs to sort of step up that outreach to, to allies to, to, to get a grip on this. In which way do you think should Europe engage with China then? Like we just talked about like Europe should talk to its allies, learn from them, learn from them maybe also how to deal with the US in, in a way, uh, talk to the US because it's like a very close uh, partner of Europe. But so China didn't figure very much in, in the talk that we had up to now. Is is China just outside? Like sh should we just disregard it in a way? Or no, no. I think, can I think, we engage with it? I, th I think Europe has to react to the U.S. and this is this is really the uh, the the conundrum that Europe finds itself in. Um, but of course, it needs to talk to China, and it is talking to China. Uh, you know, there's going to be a series of summits and important meetings this year. An EU-China summit at the end of March. Uh, uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel is hosting this this summit. Uh, with all the EU leaders and the, and the Chinese president in September in Leipzig. So, yes, you do need to talk to the Chinese. Uh, of course, the Chinese may respond to any U.S. export controls with export controls of their own. And so this is, this is going to be a back-and-forth issue, and I think Europe needs to, obviously, uh, it needs to be talking with with everyone. Uh, it has no interest in stopping the conversation with China, but it's going to be forced to look at, I mean, on the emerging technology front, it's, it's, it's going to be forced by the U.S. Um, because it would face the risk of secondary sanctions if it doesn't grapple with this. Uh, Europe may decide to go in another direction to push back, but what it doesn't want to do is or what wouldn't be advisable is to sort of sit back and, and, and be reactive and defensive on this. It has to make its own decisions, just like it has on 5G, study these technologies, decide uh, whether they want to go along with the U.S. or not, and, and also try to influence the U.S. Uh, if they feel the U.S. is going too far. And you can only do that if you, you know what you're talking about. Maybe in closing, looking ahead five years, ten years, where do you see Europe uh, in the strategic triangle? Do you see it like strongly aligned to the US, strongly aligned to China, uh, a sovereign region between the two going its own way? What do you think is f more likely to happen? Well, that's uh, that's the, the million-dollar question. Um, I think uh, in the near term, it's going to be very important how the US election turns out. 
Um, I think four more years of, of Donald Trump will, will change a lot. Um, I think there are a lot of European countries that are hoping that even if the U.S. doesn't return to, let's say, normal, or the transatlantic relationship doesn't return to normal under a new president, at least there will be uh, more uh, normality um, with, with another president. I think four more years of Donald Trump uh, means four more years of uh, confrontation with China and not much focus on the transatlantic relationship. Um, I think there is quite a lot of support for Trump's pushback against China, but uh, I think he's he's gone about it in a, in a bit of a ham-fisted way because the most important thing, I think, for the U.S. is, is to get allies uh, if, if it wants to push back against certain Chinese behaviors, and he hasn't really done that, certainly not in, in Europe. So, um, you know, when you talk to European uh, politicians, I've talked to diplomats here in, in Berlin in recent weeks, you know, they're thinking very hard uh, about, um, I think, five to ten years out and, and, and what, the, what this is going to look like. Um, the transatlantic relationship doesn't have its raison d'etre, uh, that it once had, um, it hasn't since the fall of the Berlin Wall and the disappearance of the Soviet threat. Um, and and uh, Europe doesn't necessarily see this as a, as a doesn't want to get involved in another, another Cold War. Um, so it's too early to say where, where, uh, where Europe ends up. Uh, I think the most important thing for Europe is to try to remain united so not to, to to be divided by china to be divided by the united states um and that and that's that's going to be difficult because you have countries like poland that are closely aligned to the us um you have other countries uh hungary greece that have closer relationships with china and i think Everyone in Europe is 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 worried about getting uh, getting pulled in in both directions uh, with this great power competition, as they call it in Washington, and uh, we're just going to have to see how it plays out. But I think in the short term, the U.S. election will be very very important. All right. On that note, I think um, what we know is that Europe cannot sit back and react to everything. We need to get active, and we need to do our homework in a sense. Mm -hmm. Um, thank you, Noah Barkin, for joining us in the studio. Thanks, Johannes. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Goodbye. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org. <laughs>